Boyer's Coffee. Gosh, I love my Boyer's Coffee. Have it every morning. Sometimes I sneak a cup uh, later on in the evening. They have all kinds of great promotions going right now. Go to boyerscoffee.com to find out about those. Uh, We're in the gift-giving time of year. And they have some great items that uh, you can knock off your list by just going to boyerscoffee.com. And uh, you know what? They'll put it in a bow for you, and they'll send it to wherever you'd like. And uh, I think it makes a a wonderful holiday gift and uh, makes things easier on your end when you know somebody's going to be happy with what they receive, and uh, you just have to do it with a couple of clicks. And uh, maybe you do that while you sip on uh, some Boyer's Coffee. I get it delivered to my house. You can find it in your local grocery store or, again, at boyerscoffee.com. So check out their wide assortment of great coffees and other products. And as I said, they always have some great deals going on, especially right now during the holiday season. It's boyerscoffee.com. We had great weather this fall into winter. Maybe some projects left uh outside that you want to accomplish, trimming up some uh, shrubbery, blowing those leaves that uh, are still falling off the trees. Got the perfect company for you, Steel, S-T-I-H-L, Steel Power Tools. They have a dealer, I guarantee you, within a mile of your home. They have 10,000 dealers around the country, so go to steeldealers.com to find uh, the nearest one to your home. Or, uh, as well, go to uh, Steel USA and look online at all of their products. You are going to be blown away. They have so many things that are going to help you out around the house, in the uh, yard, in the neighborhood. If you want to help out one of uh, your friends around the corner, you can do that as well. They have chainsaws. They have blowers. They have so many uh, tools that are going to uh, get the job done for you. And they're gas-powered if you want. They're electric if you'd like, or if you'd prefer, as I uh, do, battery-powered. Just go check out their uh, great assortment of tools. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They're a proud uh, sponsor and partner of the Colorado Rockies as well. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former Rockies pitcher and now world champion with the Atlanta Braves, Tyler Matzik. I think October is one crazy month, and um, yeah, just... I was so grateful to uh, stay at one of World Series. Talking about the pressure of pitching in the World Series. I'm obviously nervous. I mean, I have anxiety flowing through my body. Uh, all pain has gone away. My body feels great because we got so much adrenaline going through. And how an athlete can overcome a case of the yips. I think that the emotional health and emotional control is probably the most important thing that any baseball player, any athlete that's in a pressure situation uh, can control. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and leave a comment. And tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. First and foremost, a happy Thanksgiving as we embark on podcast number 125. Wow, that's a good number. 125. I love Thanksgiving. You know, I think in many ways, Thanksgiving is my uh, favorite holiday. Um, there's no gift expectations, therefore there's no disappointments, and you're just thankful as one should be every day, not just uh, on that special Thursday in late November, for family, friends, good health hopefully, and um, and uh, a prosperity for 
uh, you as everybody gathers. And I know we're still amid COVID, but I love Thanksgiving, man. So big happy Thanksgiving to one and all out there. Enjoy your family, your friends, and uh, and really give great thanks uh, this particular Thanksgiving. Also, it's not Thanksgiving unless you can partake in a turkey bowl or at least watch a turkey bowl, right? I love playing in turkey bowls around this time of year. Done it for years. It's a blast. like to do it with my boys, trying to organize one as we speak right now. Um, that's a lot of fun. And then you take your sore ass body inside and you watch more football and then you get to eat. By the way, for me, there's three items that I have to have. Pretty simple. I like turkey breast. Hopefully it's, I don't screw it up and it's, you know, moist enough. I put cranberry sauce on top. That's a must. And I have to have yams. All the other stuff is great. I enjoy it. I'm not a big stuffing guy. Um, I enjoy all that other stuff. Um, but I have to have my, my turkey breast, which is obvious. And I need to have yams. And then I will allow myself dessert because it is Thanksgiving. And I like, you know, a really good berry pie a la mode. And it's preferably chocolate ice cream. So that's uh, that's my desire. Again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right, college football. I mean, th- this is the time of year we're talking uh, considerably about football. Well, I was uh, watching Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, that was not much of a game. It was a blowout from Jump Street when Ohio State scored touchdowns, I think, on their first seven possessions. They're up 49 to nothing at halftime. And it reminded me of how large a delta there is between the top four or five teams in college football and the next tier. Fan bases in college and the NFL, they want blood in the water when things do not go well for their team. Fire the coach, fire the quarterback. And it turns into a vicious cycle that typically does not have the desired result. Shampoo, rinse, repeat. Look at Texas. They've lost uh, right now six in a row as they go into the weekend to play Kansas State. Look at Florida State. Look at Florida. Hey, look no closer than home than the University of Colorado. They've had more coaches than any other Power 5 school over the last, I think it's the last 15 years. I saw this trivia question on one of the games. Uh, who's had the most coaches in, in, among the Power 5 teams in college football the last bunch of years? And it's Colorado. It's hard to win. I understand that. And there are so many examples of you know schools in particular that they keep buying out coaches and nothing changes. Um, you know, Look at the Broncos on the professional level. Coach, don't, I'm not suggesting coaching and leadership don't matter. They do. They absolutely do. But particularly in college football, it is about talent. It's the Jimmys and Joes. My old partner uh, on college football, one of, one of my favorite guys, Dave Lapham, who played in the NFL for 10 years, outstanding uh, offensive guard with the Cincinnati Bengals, played in the USFL or for the Generals as well. And he's been a long time. A radio analyst for the Cincinnati Bengals, his former club, and uh, he's adored uh, in Southern Ohio. And he's a funny dude, and he's a great dude. He's a good friend still. And he used to, you know, in in the early season, the non conference season, we'd be doing a college football game. We worked together in the Big Twelve, and it'd be Texas against back then. We'd call them a, a directional school, and it would be you know some kind of monumental blowout uh, by halftime. 
And one of his favorite lines was, you can X and O all you want as a coach, but if their X's are bigger, stronger, faster, you ain't got no shot. It don't matter. And he's right. It is all about recruiting. It's a sales pitch to relatively immature 17 and 18-year-olds. And what are they impressed with these days? Well, they're impressed with facilities. Got to have them. Uniforms. Got to have like 30 of those. Swag. Opportunities. uh, and, And the likelihood of winning. They're influenced now by social media, obviously, and relationships with other top flight athletes that they have either through the recruiting process, through social media, or maybe it is from camps and showcases that they attended. This is, by and large, different from a generation ago. So for programs that do not already reside at the top of the mountain, see Alabama, see Ohio State. Clemson, I know Clemson's having, by their standards, a down year. You need, if you're going to climb to the top of that mountain, you need big-time hiking gear, a backpack with a good sleeping bag and tent, because you need to be patient, which is always in short supply with boosters. My point, which I hope is clear, those guys that you're chasing have better players and certainly better depth. That's not to say upsets can't occur, but to play in their sandbox, you have to match them in facilities, in a passion university-wide that permeates through that university that it's about winning. You know, you can talk about, oh, this coach, man, he he was able to score a, you know, a bevy of points at, at this mid-level you know, school. And you do see creative schemes periodically. But when you watch the big-time programs, Alabama, Ohio State, at the end of the day, they are just out-athleting you. Hasn't changed, man. At the college level in particular, it's about the Jimmys and Joes. Now, having said all of that, college football clearly, for me, needs an eight-team playoff. Now, it'll add dollars to their coffers, which at the end of the day is all that matters when decisions are made. Let's be clear. But the easiest analogy to support going to eight is the NCAA men's basketball tournament, as we all affectionately call it, March Madness, right? We actually love, I think, the first weekend of March Madness more than the final four even. And the reason is because there are upsets. We see 11s beating sixes. We see 12 seeds beating five seeds. And we love the underdog, man. Basketball is different. The nature of basketball is different than football. So why can't the same thing really occur in football? Football, there's so many more bodies on the field. Basketball, there's five guys on the, on the court at the same time. We understand that, right? And so if you have a couple of elite guys and role players and guys that play together and are well coached, you have a chance to pull upsets. And that's why we see 11s beat 6s, 12 beat 5s, and and we're all locked in that opening weekend in particular of March Madness. I think you can replicate it to a certain degree in football. Uh, And I know I just argued that there's a huge delta between the top four or five programs in the country in football than the rest. Um, But my reason for expansion is twofold. The one I just talked about, we all love uh, the underdog. And the other one is that 
there are, because there are upsets with the underdog, and we always are talking about the teams that are sitting just on the outside of the top four when the, the, when the weekly playoff pool comes up. We eliminate that argument. And I also would say you have to take somebody from the group of five. There always seems to be a team outside of the power five that raises eyebrows and you wonder, hey, could they really be among the top handful of teams in the country? This year, clearly, it's the Cincinnati Bearcats as we talk. And they have two more tough games. Um, and, and I'm rooting for them because I'd like to see them uh, hold their spot. They're currently sitting fourth. And uh, if the playoffs were to start today, they would be in. Um, so it, it, all it does is add a week. And it provides an opportunity for more great theater. Oh, and please, uh, by the way, if you're, if you're going to be that extra week for the student athletes, um, so that's not going to work. Um, we're talking about two schools. And let's be clear. Athletes who are playing football at those institutions, and I'm not being dismissive of, of the majority of those kids that desire to get a college education, take it very seriously, and, and hopefully ultimately a degree. Not at all. But most of those young men also have ambitions of playing professional football. And those two weeks that we're talking about, it doesn't matter. They're, they're doing the same thing that they ordinarily do. They are eating, breathing, living football 24 7, 365. So uh, I would love to see an 18 playoff. And I think all of you would as well. Um, quarterbacks, right? We, I mentioned that earlier. We we're talking about kid coaches and, and you got to have, you know, you got to have the right coaching staff. Great. You have to have a quarterback. We know that. And I still believe the smartest folks in these uh, rooms who analyze quarterbacks often get it wrong. We know they often get it wrong. Just watch on Sundays and the carousel of quarterbacks that come and go. Look here in Denver at the carousel of quarterbacks that come and go. And I was thinking about this over the weekend because I was watching the Washington football team take on the Carolina Panthers. Entertaining game, by the way. It's great to see Christian McCaffrey back. Great to see Cam Newton playing um, again and, and at a pretty high level, I mad at. And then you go and watch Washington. I'm watching Taylor Heineke, who's a pretty good athlete. He's out of Old Dominion. He went on anybody's radar. He can play. And you want to know the most important aspect of his game that all elite guys, all the guys the Broncos want to have, the Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, all the great ones. We don't have to name them. You know what they, you know what they are most importantly? They're accurate. They're on time with the football. They know where to go with the football. And they are accurate. And there's a huge difference between college accurate and NFL accurate. Typically in college, guys are truly wide open. You and I could make some of those throws. NFL, you got to put it in a tight window. You've heard that many times. And when we walk up closely to late April, and everybody's focused on the NFL draft, and everybody's typically focused as a fan base on quarterbacks, especially if your team needs one. We hear things about arm strength, and he can throw the whole route tree, and hand size, and height, and mobility, and the level of competition that said quarterback played. And so rarely, it seems, or infrequently, do you hear about accurate. 
He is consistently accurate. It seems to be at times overlooked. Taylor Heineke caught my attention. Guy out of Old Dominion. Seems to be accurate. All right, quick hits from around our area that uh, I noticed in the last week. The Avalanche, and as we tape, they've won five in a row, all without Nathan McKinnon. Kadri McCarr had been uh, terrific. Kadri's got a nine-game point streak going. They lead the NHL in goals per game. Uh, It is November. The playoffs are almost a full six months away, so there's plenty of time for the Avalanche to get healthy. The one area that I would have concern right now, and again, the playoffs, as I said, are six months away. Their new goaltender, who's a veteran guy, and when he's been healthy, has typically been really, really good. But Darcy Kemper, um, slow start with the Avs, then he was playing well, didn't play well in a 7-5 uh, win against Ottawa uh, the other night. He needs to play at a consistently higher level uh, for the Avalanche, we know to capture a, a cup because when we get to the postseason, when you get to NHL playoff hockey, it is all about goaltending. We know that, and Kemper has to be that guy. Um, good for the Broncos. George Payton uh, sewed up Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick this past week. Very deserving for Patrick. You got to root for a guy like that. I mean, this guy's worked his tail off, and he's become a very good NFL receiver. The good news is uh, the way they put those contracts together, they still have plenty of cap room moving forward, uh, but the same big questions remain. We were talking about quarterback. We are talking about leadership uh, earlier in the podcast, uh, so we'll see uh, what transpires for the Broncos going forward. But I, I thought those were uh, those were good moves by George Payton. Um, the Nuggets, you know, there, there were more guys probably available for your Tuesday night pickup hoops game at the club than the Nuggets seemingly uh, have of late. Uh, again, we know it's early, thankfully. Fingers crossed uh, also that Michael Porter's back is not a season-ending nerve situation. Uh, but anybody that's dealt with back issues, especially as an athlete, uh, and he has a history of back issues, those things are typically chronic. So we'll see how that turns out. This week's big tip of the cap locally is to uh, Colorado State men's basketball. Nico Medved has a deep and talented team uh, that just won, if you missed it, the Paradise Jam down in the U.S. Virgin Islands, beating Northeastern in the title game 71-61. Actually, at one point in that game, they were down by 20. They are 6-0 as we speak. And they've also, in the process, knocked off two sweet 16 teams from about six months ago in Oral Roberts. They did that in blowout fashion, and they also blew out a a good Creighton team. Uh, So they're off to a fabulous start. They're led by power forward junior David Roddy out of the state of Minnesota. He averaged better than 31 a game down in the Virgin Islands. Uh, Also an outstanding point guard in uh, Texas native Isaiah Stevens. Those are two guys that could play anywhere in the country. Colorado was in that tournament as well. They lost in the opening round, otherwise, uh, and then they won the next two. Tad's got a young team. They're talented, uh, but um, it would have been neat had they been able to uh, win their first couple of games, and then it would have been a CU-CSU championship game down in the uh, Virgin Islands. So if you get a moment, do yourself a favor, head up to Boulder, catch uh, Tad Boyle's team, uh, and make sure you get up to Moby Arena also in Fort Collins. The Rams are without question a tournament team. Uh, they're fun to watch. They have good depth. 
Uh, we're fortunate in this area. We have two truly outstanding college basketball coaches and programs going right now. Nico Medved heading Colorado State. Tad Boyle, last dozen years, heading University of Colorado. They're good guys. Players love playing for them. They're outstanding tacticians, and they do it the right way. They really do. So uh, my tip of the cap this week to, um, again, the Colorado State off to, a, off to a great start for Nico Medved. All right, time to get to our interview of the week, as always, brought to you by Ideal Homes. This is a great story. Tyler Matzik got the yips. We've talked uh, in these parts a lot about Daniel Bard the last couple of years and what a wonderful story he is. Well into his 30s, uh, great arm, great setup man for the Boston Red Sox nearly a decade ago, and and basically more or less kicking around and then out of baseball for seven years before he finally was able to conquer um, the yips. And now, uh, in, in Daniel Bard's case, most of this year he was a closer. I know he was removed from those duties late, but it wasn't because he couldn't throw strikes. It was you know, mostly ineffectiveness against left-handed hitters. Daniel's a great story. Tyler Matzik, who was a former number one pick of the Rockies, was a starting pitcher, had dealt with anxiety throughout his minor league career, got to the big leagues. And in fact, in 2014, as you'll hear in the interview, um, the last couple of months of the season, he was truly one of the best pitchers in the National League. And then things kind of went off the rails. Well, he reemerged again a number of years later with the Atlanta Braves. And now he is one of the top setup men in baseball. He's also a world champion. You're going to love his story, and you're going to love how he tells it. He is a really good guy. So enjoy our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. It's former Rocky and current world champion member of the Atlanta Braves, Tyler Matzik. Well, Tyler, an official congratulations. I know I'm not the first. I'm probably about the 50,000th person to uh, to congratulate you. Um, it's been a whirlwind, I imagine. Oh, man. First off, thank you. And yes, it has been. Uh I mean, October is one crazy month, and um, yeah, just I was so, so grateful to uh, say I won a World Series. Yeah, and that nobody can ever take that away. Forever, you'll be a world champion. And um, I, I would imagine the last two years, you, even though you probably knew it from afar, you learned a whole lot about Braves history, didn't you? Oh yeah, and I mean, it's a great organization, uh, one of the oldest organizations in baseball. Um, I've learned a bunch of uh, tidbits and facts. Um, you know, something like Babe Ruth was his, his last uniform he put on was a Braves uniform. Um, but it's crazy facts like that throughout the Braves organization. At any point in time this summer, did you internally think, you know what, I know we have a lot of talent, but boy, we've just been decimated. Acuna, you know, the Osuna situation, Soroka goes down early, where you feel like, you know what, I mean, you've been in baseball a long time, but it's just not our year, even though we, we have nice parts. Yeah, I mean, going into spring training and even in the off season before this year, you know, everybody was dogging us, saying like, oh, I don't know, last year was a fluke, la da 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 da. And uh, when I showed up in spring training, I said, wow, we got we got the talent to win. Like, I don't know why people are saying this. Like, you keep saying it, but I'm looking around this clubhouse and we got a bunch of studs, you know. And uh, um, you know, offensive side, we had Freddie Freeman, who's an, always an MVP candidate. We had uh, Marcelo Zuna, who was. Uh, 
MVP candidate in 2020. Uh, you got Riley who can do what he can do. You got uh, Ronald who can do what he can do. You know what I mean? Like those are we got four arguably guys that could go off and win MVPs on the offensive side. And our pitching we bolstered in the off season. But uh, with all those injuries we had mid season, you know, losing uh, some very key parts. You know, two of those four guys and um, some pitching injuries and our catcher with uh, Travis going down. Yeah, there was definitely a point where we were like, maybe this, you know, we've just been hit too hard by the injury bug and we're not going to be able to do it. But um, AA went out and made the moves that we needed to do to fill those holes, which were very big holes, and we filled them with some dudes that stepped up and uh, played fantastic for us down the, down the stretch. You know, there's numbers uh, attached to everything these days. I don't know if you ever heard this one or came across it, especially in the moment. But at the All-Star break, you guys are 44 and 45, and – uh, I don't know which site it was, gave you guys a 0.3% chance of winning a world championship. So, so, so much for numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not the surprise. You know, I think uh, when they came out with the preseason rankings, I'm not sure where this was either. They saw us finishing, I think, fourth in the division, um, you know, and they had the Nationals above us. They had – you know, the Phillies and the Mets, obviously, above us. And, um, you know, going – it was kind of a slap in the face, honestly. I mean, we won three titles in a row, NLE's titles in a row before that. And uh, to be told you guys are going to be on the doormat was kind of um, kind of insulting. But, uh, you know, numbers have to be put out there, and I guess uh, numbers don't look good for us. But that's okay. Yeah. Can you describe uh, the popularity of one uh, Freddie Freeman – in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh man, he runs that city. He's got the key to it, man. He they might as well just move him into the the mayor's mansion or whatever because that guy runs that city. Uh, he's a great human being, and he just he represents the city very well. Um, and yeah, he's a class act, and he's what you want as a as your your number one big name guy on a team. Hey, did you you know I never asked you this? Did you guys overlap at all in high school? No, never did. Um, I was always like a year or two behind him. We actually played in the same like travel ball uh, team, but I, I never played on the same team with him. It was once he'd left, I came in and, and played on the same team. So we had a similar coach growing up, but uh, never played on the same team. You know, I really enjoy, and I'm not just saying this because I have you on. I think I probably told you this when we chatted in the dugout when, when Atlanta was in town uh, in Denver. Uh, you guys have some characters now. Like, I, from afar, I don't know him very well at all, but uh, Ozzy Albies is a live wire, isn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's a great bridge between uh, the Latin players and the American players because he can speak such fluent uh, in both. And so he, when he's in the room, man, he connects us all, and he's got a great personality, just fun to hang out with. And, um, yeah, he's a great clubhouse guy. He's got a lot of cargo in him, right? Guy you played with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's got a little, a little bit of swagger, a lot of love, and um, he just loves to have a good time and is always, always talking crap, man. I know him and Wash are always at each other's throats in a, in a playful way. And uh, it's a, I mean, when you can do that and treat everybody like brothers, it's, it's a fun environment to be in. So I'm glad because we were talking characters. I'm glad you mentioned Ron Washington because I always enjoy talking to him. This is a podcast. We can use colorful language. The wash would take it to to another level. Um, he is a great infield instructor 
And I, his, his, at least the vocabulary that he uses 90% of the time, there is an MF in front of whatever he's saying and an MF on the backside of whatever he's saying, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the passion coming out. That's what that is. <laughs> he's a very passionate person, man. He's, you know, watches obviously, you see, everybody sees what he does on the field, but it's what he does off the field too. You know, you can sit down and have a conversation with Wash. He's just full of knowledge. Um, and he, that knowledge rubs off on everybody, pitchers, hitters, infielders, outfielders. He's just been in the game for so long and has been so in tune with the mental side that he's just a well of knowledge. Yeah, I hope he gets a, a shot to manage. And, and I say the same thing again for uh, a guy you know exceptionally well because uh, he managed the Rockies, and, and that's Walt Weiss. Yeah. Yeah, Walt's been amazing over there. Um, Walt, when he when I first went over to the Braves, he was looking through uh, like scouting reports and stuff and who they're going to bring up for their 2019 playoff push. And he came across my name, and he's like, there's no way that's the same guy. Like, last time I saw him, I had to send him down because he couldn't throw a stinking strike. And so uh, the next year, spring training, he ended up meeting me, and he's like, wow, it actually is him. And obviously, I was a different pitcher than the last time he saw. And, uh, yeah, he's been just a great, great person to have uh, in an organization. He's always had my back, and um, I'm forever appreciative. He's always been a positive, positive uh, influence on me. Yeah, he he's a. I, I tell people who may not know there's there's not a um, the the best way to describe Walt is if he's in a room with fifty people, he's the nicest guy in that room, and he's also the toughest guy in that room. Oh yeah, which is a which is an interesting combination. I want to take you back for a moment. You're you're a high first round pick in '09 of the Rockies. Uh, you went eleventh overall out of uh, what Capistrano Valley High School in Mission Viejo, and you know you rise you know, as a kid through, through to the big leagues. And at one point in time, I don't know how many people remember this. I, I do. And I know you do, obviously. I think it was late. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, in the 13th season where the final couple months of the season, and this is not an embellishment. I'm not saying this for you, you know, just because you're on with me. There was no pitcher who was throwing the ball any better in the National League than you were. For about you know seven eight starts something like that it was it was a, a significant period of time. What do you recall yeah. about that? Yeah, that was uh, 2014. I believe you're talking about up in the big okay. leagues. Yeah, and uh, that's when I was starting. And uh, yeah, I got my got my uh, you know my foot wet a little bit early on in the year. I had a couple rough ones. I think I had a rough one in Detroit, and then everything just kind of locked in. Um, started believing in my stuff a little bit more. McHenry, Michael McHenry kind of said, hey, man, don't worry about these scouting reports so much. Stop trying to pitch to the hitter's weakness and just be aggressive and do what you do. And uh, when I got that, everything kind of clicked for me. And, um, yeah, baseball became fun, and it was, all right, let's go. Let's be aggressive, and we're going to go and attack the zone. And, uh, yeah, everything went my way. I had a, I mean, obviously, if you look back at that defense I had behind me, it was absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun to play baseball then. All I had to do was – Put it on the ground, and I had Nolan Chulo or DJ LeMahieu, you know, getting the ball for me. So, uh, when you got trust with those guys behind you, baseball becomes a lot easier. 
Yeah. When the natural question is, and and again, we we chatted a little bit about this, and you, and you're very candid, and and that's why you know one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on. It, when did it go off the rails? When when did you say, uh oh, man, I, I just there's something now I'm in my head. Yeah. So I think I'd always been battling, uh, you know, mild forms of anxiety uh, for a while since I was a kid, honestly, since I was probably 17, 18 years old. Um, and it just had never flared up too bad on the field, but it was like, I was always just an anxious person and wasn't very comfortable. Uh, it got bad in 2000 and let's see, what would that be? 2011 when I kind of had like what I would think is like a mild case of the yips and then kind of came back from that. And then it got really bad in 2014, uh, when I was in the big leagues. I think just the extra pressure being in the big leagues, all that stuff, it just, I couldn't come back from it as uh, as quickly as I was able to in 2011. So in 2015, I just did not – I couldn't play. I couldn't play baseball. Uh had so much pressure on myself, didn't believe in myself, even though, like you said, 2014 was a fantastic year. Um, and I think it was just all an internal thing. And then, uh, you know, it just – it led to me being able to not even – play catch, just toss the ball 10 feet. And I, I remember days where I was at Coors Field while everybody else was in spring training. I'm trying to work on mental skill stuff with, uh, you know, some mental coaches there in Denver. And I'm like, I got to kind of stay in shape with someone throwing. And I couldn't even do that because I couldn't even play catch with somebody, you know, it, just to stay in shape. And at, at what point in time is that self-doubt so large and the anxiety in a way so painful that you felt like, you know what, maybe I should just get away from baseball. I'll, I'll, you know, you're a bright guy. I'll, I'll go pick something else for a career that, you know, does not give me those feelings. Yeah. So I was pretty much out of baseball. I got, uh, the Rockies didn't sign me back in 16, 17. I had spring training with the White Sox and still had the yips, still couldn't throw well. And then, uh, 2017 didn't play at all during that season. And, Towards the end of the season then, which would have been like September time, it was, you know, time for schools to kind of start, uh, you know, signing up for fall classes. And I was sitting there with my wife thinking, hey, th- this sounds like the time where I'm just going to go to junior college and see where my life takes me and uh, go another route. So I sat down with my wife. She said, uh, no, I-, I think that's a bad decision. I think you can – you have a lot more to offer the game. I think you need to keep trying. And uh, I was like, all right, well, I'll keep trying. And then at that time, it was just happened happenstance that McHenry called me and said, hey, I got a guy you need to meet. And I said, okay. And uh, next week I was out, I think or a week, week and two later, I was out in Nashville with McHenry. And he introduced me to a guy named Jason Kuhn, who was a ex-Navy SEAL who had now transferred over into working with athletes in the mental side. Um, and helping helping athletes with a whole different mental thing. And the great thing that happened with, with Jason is that uh, his college career was actually cut short because he had something very similar. He, he got the yips or a mental, a mental freeze um, just like I had, but he got in college and it, he didn't, he wasn't able to come out of the hole. So he, what, that's actually what drove him into the Navy SEALs. He went and said, hey, what's the mentally the toughest thing to do? Navy SEALs, all right, I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL and prove that it has nothing to do with your mental strength. It's just something that happens. And um, so I've been working with him, and, you know, I'm forever grateful that McHenry introduced me to him because when I got done working with him 
it changed my life and it, it put me back on the right track towards where I am today. More with the Atlanta Braves' Tyler Matzik in a moment. But first this, for Ideal Home Loans, always an opportunity to save money if you give Ideal Home Loans a call. They have been super busy with the housing market the way it is. And uh, maybe you kind of missed out or you were busy and you want to find out if you can save some money with uh, interest rates. Give them a call. It does not hurt. Get a second opinion. From Ideal Home Loans. Their number is 303-867-7000. That's 303-867-7000. Chances are they're going to put you in a product that's going to help you save some dollars. They've done it for me on several occasions. I've told you many times I've sent uh, a number of people I know to Ideal Home Loans and all are really pleased uh, that I passed the number along to them. So that's what I'm doing for you right now. It's Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's team. They've been outstanding in our area for more than 20 years. They're also down in Arizona. Their number again is 303-867-7000. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Give them a shout. Ideal Home Loans. Divorce is not fun. Difficult time, emotional time, uncertain time. Been there. You need guidance. You need counsel. You need accurate information and great professionalism and understanding. And you'll find it without question at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker and Page. That's Cox, Baker and Page. They've been recognized in a number of publications for their excellent work in the area of family law. They're compassionate and thorough in guiding you through a tumultuous period. Their work has been routinely recognized for its excellence. U.S. News and World Report, for instance, consistently award Laura Page and Mary Cox best lawyer distinctions. If you or someone you know is looking for counsel, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. That's coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Now back to more with Tyler Matzik. You know, it's remarkable, and it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't a snap of the fingers. I mean, you went to Indie Ball and um, is do you keep? Uh, I'm sure you keep a relationship with them. Um, but do you still, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, do therapy sessions with them? Is it ongoing still? Yeah, so it's not so much like a therapy sessions. He he taught me for let's see, the first year or so we worked together, and it was very uh, hands on for the first three months or so, where I was doing stuff, calling him like every other day, every third day, we were doing stuff. And then once it basically felt like, hey, you've learned all that you need to learn, now just go apply it, um, it turned into just kind of updates and stuff like that. So for the first maybe six months, eight months, it was very hands-on, and then it was kind of just like, hey, man, you know how to fly, now just go do it. And uh, I just put, you know, put the work in and got after it. I know, again, from our conversation in Denver that kind of telling that story, because there are so many people like you that that maybe you know not at at the highest level but they battle it in high school or they battle it in college or or maybe they battle it not on the baseball field but in other places in life that can learn from you and also you know a guy like Daniel Bard with the Rockies that you can overcome this it is not it doesn't have to be that's always the way it's going to be yeah yeah Daniel like you said Daniel Bard I, I actually was able to work with him with uh, 
what what year was that? 2019 with the Diamondbacks, but he was the mental mental skills coach over there. And uh, I liked a lot of the stuff that he put down. He was very into calming the body, relaxing the body. Don't let it get over anxious. Um, and that definitely helped me. Uh, and it was, but it was a little bit different than what Jason had taught me. Jason had taught me more of a embrace that anxiety. It's your body's way of saying something important is going to happen. Um, so use it as a fuel, not a, not a break. And, um, yeah, so I guess it was just like a, I think it was a good happy medium. It shows that you can, you can overcome this kind of situation with many different tactics. tactics. You just got to find which one works for you. Um, again, Bardo was able to do what he's done through his style and I've been able to do what I've done through my style. And I think both styles work. It just depends on the individual. Well, if it was ever going to be put to the test, <laughs> it was second and third, no one out in game six of the World Series and one future Hall of Famer standing at the plate and Albert Pujols. Uh, adrenaline flowing, obviously. Did it get ratcheted up, the, the nerves there? Or were you like, as it looked upon, as we watched on television, calm, cool, and collected? Uh I'm obviously nervous. I mean, I have anxiety flowing through my body. Uh, all pain has gone away. You know, body feels great because we got so much adrenaline going through. Um, and baseball becomes very simple at that point. It comes down to, all right, I want, I need, we, we got a two run lead. We got to keep both these guys from scoring. One of them's okay. Let's get three outs. And so the easiest way to do that is, all right, let's, I got to strike the first guy out. Next guy, we can get a uh, ground ball or pop fly, and then the next one, we can get a ground ball or pop fly. But this first guy has got to strike out or, you know, get out without anybody advancing. So, yeah, it just becomes simple, man, and they start being aggressive. But when the blood flow is going like that and you got all that adrenaline going, you got to understand that the hitter is feeling that too. You know, and Albert being Albert, he's been in those situations forever, so he's probably pretty calm, cool, and collected and used to the situation. Um, and before the first pitch is even thrown, it's a battle to see who can control their nerves the best. And you can lose that, you can lose the battle before the first pitch is even thrown, and you can win that battle before the first pitch is even thrown. So being able to control your emotions, uh, is probably the most important thing you can do as, I think, as a release pitcher or a hitter that comes into a big situation. You know, you hear guys that can hit really well, but they're just never clutch. Um, and vice versa with the pitchers. But I think it's just how well can you control your emotions in those situations to get the task done. You know, it's wild for me because, as everybody knows, you strike Albert out, the inning, no one scores that inning because it ends with you striking out maybe a future Hall of Famer in Mookie Betts, and then, you you know, the, the scoreless eighth inning, four punch outs, one hit, didn't walk anybody. Um, you know, you have a one, by the way, in two years in the postseason, you know this, and I say this not to embarrass you, but you have a 148 earned run average in, in, in two postseasons now with the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, you've been out of this world. A golfer sometimes, many times, if you ask a golfer at the end of his, six, you know, round of 67, he can go shot by shot through the round. If I asked you 30 years from now, can you go pitch for pitch in that seventh inning? Can you remember exactly who you threw and where the location was, what you threw? No, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember it now. Honestly, I don't know. I, I don't 
I'm not worried about the whole the whole thing. I'm just going, what's the next pitch? You know, and that mentality I think just carries over. Like I'm thinking right now of when's the next time I'm gonna go play catch. Um and it's not I don't know if it's a bad thing, but it's just like I don't hold on to it, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I trust that, you know, what I'm going to do the next time I go and throw the ball is going to be where I want it to be. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't really hold on to positive or negative things in the past because I don't want my confidence to be rooted in something I can't control. Uh, I can't control if, if Mookie was to hit a home run there, you know, and I made the pitch I wanted to make that's something I can't control. I also can't control him swinging and missing. I just trusted that what I was throwing there was the best pitch for me to throw and to get out of that situation and to have to work out for me. Yeah. Do you, do you feel Tyler in a way that it is your duty for lack of a better way of phrasing it to pass along what you've learned in dealing with anxiety to other players at all different levels? Yeah. I always try and help people. You know, it's, it's a much more prevalent issue that, you know, that people don't really realize. Uh, it's, it's, I've had so many guys come up to me like, Hey man, I heard your story. I'm kind of dealing with this. I'm kind of dealing with that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. And it's, it's, it's something that is not talked about enough in baseball, but it, which surprises me because the first thing you learn is that human beings are emotional creatures. That's what we are. Right. There's, we run off of emotions, whether we think about it or not. We are emotionally making decisions at all times. And so we never, we always work hard at the physical stuff. We always work hard at the body, but we never work hard at the subconscious emotions that are actually moving and running everything that we're working hard at. So, um, yeah, you just need to, I think that the emotional health and emotional control is probably the most important thing that any baseball player, any athlete that's in a pressure situation uh, can control. Yeah, that's well put. Um, who do you keep in touch with at the Rockies? Do you keep in touch with anybody from, from when you were uh, were in purple? Uh, I talk to Nolan all the time, actually. I work out with him in the off season. Um, we know we were drafted together. We grew up together. Uh, we live five minutes away from each other here in the off season. Uh, I talk to him all the time. So obviously I'm hanging out with, Fuentes as well, because uh, he's working out with us. And, um, yeah, I play Call of Duty and some video games and stuff with Story and Blackman a little bit here and there. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Corey Dickerson a little bit too. Uh, but, yeah, McHenry. I, mean, I stay in touch with a lot of those guys. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. It was, a, it, was a, it was a really good group. Hey, is there any desire at all um, to go back and, and, and start or – You've now become entrenched as one of the premier, you know, late-inning guys in baseball, and, and obviously you've excelled in that role. Yeah. I mean, I would love to go back and start. Uh, do I think it's the best thing for me in my career? I don't know. Um, but I think that that challenge, you know, of like, you know, that's kind of the role I was in when I got kicked out of baseball. I'd love to be back in that role just to, you know, prove that I have come all the way back and I'm starting games now. But um you know, I feel very comfortable and, and love the role that I'm in. I love the atmosphere of the bullpen coming in those pressure situations, being able to pitch every single day, too. I mean, I enjoy pitching every day. When I show up at the ballpark, I want to get on the mound, where for many, many years it was I showed up at the ballpark and I was doing everything I could to not get on the mound. Um, so now that I have the opportunity to do that every single day, you know, I I, I enjoy being able to 
tell the manager, hey, I can throw today. Let's go. And, um, yeah, you can only do that at the bullpen. Yeah, it's amazing uh, transformation. All right, man, before I let you fly, I got to I gotta have you uh, tell a couple of stories. I came across this one uh, recently in preparing to, to visit with you. So you're playing for Mickaluck in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and it's not your day to start, so you're doing side work or whatever you're doing, and the Bat Boy doesn't show up, and you volunteer to be the Bat Boy. Now, keep in mind, everyone— this is the number one pick in the Rockies organization from 2009. That's not normally a role for probably any player, much less a number one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just something I wanted to do. Uh, the, like you said, the bat boy, I forgot what happened. He had like a, was a school or something. I don't know. He had like some test. I don't even remember why he couldn't show up. But they were looking for a bat boy, and I was just like, I'll do it. I got nothing going on. Like, well, how hard can it be? And then uh, – once we once I started doing it, I was like, all right, this is kind of fun. It just shows you can kind of be involved a little bit more and be around the, you know, instead of being the starter, you're kind of sitting down towards the end of the dugout, not really paying attention to the game. But when you're the hitting, you know, the the bat boy, you're kind of down by the manager. You're watching the decisions he's making. You're seeing the preparation that the hitters are going through before they get up there. And it's just, it was a learning experience. It was a fun thing to do. And, um, yeah, I mean, everybody puts his label on, like, oh, the first rounder was getting the bats, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm a human being. I'm a person. You know, it, it it was just a fun thing to do, and um, yeah, I would go do it again. Honestly, that's that's funny too, because uh, and good for you. Somebody breaks his bat, now comes Matzik with 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 a fresh thirty four, thirty one and a half, right? I, I probably wasn't very good. The hitters were probably like, "Bro, you're a terrible bat boy," but. Um, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> and then the story that kind of almost went viral from the the parade last month when you guys win it all, or it's actually this month. Um, and what what was the deal there? You're you're wandering around, and and a couple of cops mistook you for a fan that was out in the street. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, first off, the police did a fantastic job making sure our parade went great. Um, you know, nobody got hurt from what I heard. Nobody, uh, everybody was safe. All the players were safe. Everybody in the stands was safe. It was, it was a great time and a fantastic job by the police. Um, we were supposed to stay on the bus and, uh, I probably should have stayed on the bus, but I was just so excited and I saw all the fans there and they were just, I mean, I wanted to go celebrate with the fans a little bit. So what I ended up doing is hopping off the bus and I was on the passenger side. So I started running up the passenger side of the bus, giving people high fives, crossed over in front of the bus, started running down uh, the passenger or the driver's side of the bus, went past our bus, and then went past the bus behind our bus, crossed back over to the passenger side. And so when the I hadn't passed that cop before, and so once I came flying around the bus, that was like, you know, there's nowhere to get off on that bus. Uh, he thought I was just a random fan that had ran across the street. And uh, he grabbed me and was like, I, I was just like, he grabbed me. I was like, hey, I'm with the team. I'm with the team. And he's like, yeah, sure, bud. <laughs> so he me. I didn't have my credentials on. I, was, I probably should have had them around my neck. I had them in my pocket. I pulled them. I said, hey, my credentials are in my pocket. Just pull them out. He pulled it out. He looked at it, showed his partner. And he's like, what are you doing off the bus? And I said, I don't know. Obviously, it was a bad decision. I should probably go get back on the bus. He said, yes, get back on the bus. So I grabbed my credentials, 
at that point, our private security that was on the bus realized I was off the bus. He comes over. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just felt like giving that fans high five. Get back on the bus. Let's go. So I get back on the bus. Um, I mean, if that's the worst thing that happens, a little misunderstanding between uh, a player and the police officer, I think it was a fantastic parade. The fans were electric. Um, you know, I think I was, like, deaf for – at least two days after that, I had a ringing in my ear because the fans were so loud and so electric. So it was a fantastic time. If the worst thing that happens was a you know uh, a mistaken identity, I can't complain about no, that. that. Hey, listen, I got to ask you: when you describe as you just did the parade and earlier the seventh and eighth inning and 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 the run to a world championship, and then where you were? I mean, you were with the Texas Air Hogs a couple of years ago. You were contemplating shutting it down. Your wife talked you out of it. Have you been able to really sit down and process all that and say, you know, holy shit, look where I am. Look what I've done. Look what I'm a part of. Look where I'm going. Not that, Listen, just visiting with you, you'd be successful in any number of endeavors. But to be successful at, you know, the sport that you dedicated your life, um, it, it kind of gives me chills. I mean, have you been able to process it? Yeah. I mean, it's it, when, when I started this whole, you know, comeback in about 2017, I think that's when it started. This was always the end goal. It was always, how do I get back to the big leagues and how do I become not only just back to the big leagues, but become a key part of a team that can help them win. Um, and that's, that's really like, I mean, anybody who reaches their goal, it's like, obviously it's a rewarding thing. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without a whole slew of people that have helped me. Um, I've had a physical therapist that have helped me, my catch partner who was playing fetch most of the days. Um, my, again, Jason Kuhn doing his thing, my agent believing in me and, and helping me, uh, Billy Martin Jr., who was the GM with the Air Hogs. I mean, the manager there was saying, hey, we need to get rid of this guy. He's not very good. Billy, before the year, had told me, hey, I'll give you one whole season to pitch. I said, that sounds fantastic. Pay me the minimum. I don't care. I just want to be able to have a guarantee that I'll be able to play for a whole season. See, so, you, know, you, right, you have my word. So he stuck by his word even when people were giving him pressure to, to get rid of me. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stories like that where I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't be here without a whole bunch of people. And so I'm forever grateful to all those people that have helped me. Yeah, it's a it's a great story. And, um, you know, I know I speak for a lot of people, not just, you know, people who uh, remember you as a Rocky, but, uh, you know, anybody attached to baseball or just uh, interested in the human spirit and what one can uh, overcome, you know, have to love uh, uh, your story. And I'm and I, I'm thankful that you were, you know, so kind in sharing it with us and sharing it with a lot of other people, man. I, I, I wish you all the best going forward. And I look forward to seeing you next year. Thank you. I appreciate it so much, and thanks for having me on here. A big thank you uh, to Tyler Maxick. And I have to tell you, he is one of those guys that when you listen to them, you cannot help but root for them. You realize it's a phenomenal story, number one. Number two, you know, for people in, in the Rocky Mountain region, they remember Tyler, and they remember um, how he emerged with the Rockies, and then as quickly as he emerged, unfortunately, t- things turned south. And then you see him doing exceptionally well in a new role for 
the Atlanta Braves. And you have to be happy for him. And when you listen to him, you say, great guy, humble guy, smart guy, man, I'm all about rooting for him, even if he's not wearing the purple. So uh, I, I've enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed our conversation today. I enjoyed our conversation uh, back in, in the Braves dugout when they were in town taking on the Rockies uh, just a few months ago. So congrats to Tyler Matzik. A big, big Thanksgiving, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you again. Uh, we'll do it again as we always uh, do in, in about seven days. So you all take care. Uh, stay healthy in your respective turkey bowls. And uh, make sure you get a little exercise before and after uh, eat all that turkey. So before we get on out of here, a reminder to check out uh, the DNBR Rockies podcast with my man Patrick Lyons five days a week. And uh, I join him uh, at least once a week, and we uh, talk baseball, talk Rockies baseball in particular. So, again, that's the DNBR Rockies podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that. All right. Happy Thanksgiving once again, everybody. Uh, if you do partake in a turkey bowl, I hope you do that. Stay uh, healthy. Make sure you ice up after um, and uh, eat well. We'll do it again next week. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe, everybody.